Poetry is one of the most ancient of arts. Our forefathers saw poets not just as wordsmiths, but as seers and prophets. Read some really good poetry and you'll know why. It bores into your heart and soul and leaves you gasping for air, but wanting more. On this episode, we talk with award-winning poet, Haby Valentine of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome again to Season 2 of Dialogues with Creators. I'm the host, Barbara Tucker. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the work of creators in all walks of life, not only the traditional artistic expressions and roles. So far this season, we have talked with a scientist and faculty developer, a publisher, a graphic artist educator, a theatrical director, and a novelist. Today, we have our first poet. K.B. Ballantyne of Chattanooga, Tennessee. You can learn more about K.B. on her website, kbballantyne.com, and that's Ballantyne with two L's, where you will read about her many literary awards and publications. She has published, previous to now, seven poetry collections, and her eighth just appeared, and it is called Spirit of Wild. What a great title. A few, just a few of her literary awards include that she was selected as a finalist for the Southern Alliance of Literature Outstanding Writer for 2021. She was awarded the Libba Moore Gray Poetry Prize in 2016. In 2014, she was a finalist in the Ron Rash Poetry Awards and a recipient of the Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Poetry Prize in 2006. KB is also an educator, and I have been looking forward to our conversation and feel very honored to have her on the podcast. KB, welcome to Dialogues with Creators. Thank you. I know of you, KB, from friends and from your reputation among other writers in the region, especially through the Chattanooga Chattanooga Writers Guild, but other places as well. So uh, we'll start by getting to know you. Tell us how you fell in love with poetry and the poetic form. Well, it really came in through the back door, I suppose. I've I've always written. Um, I used to write lots and lots of short stories when I was in school. I wrote my very first really bad novel in eighth grade. (laughs) That's one of those that will never see the light of day anywhere, Uh, although I do still have it. (laughs) And and when I started teaching about, well, that was 31 years ago now, I started teaching and I asked um, the teachers how they taught poetry. And most of them said, if they taught it at all, they just brushed over it. And when I asked why, they said, because it's so subjective. How do you really grade poetry? So most of the people that I talked to at the time were more interested in the grading of of work rather than discussion and exploring the literature of poetry, or the beauty of it. And I was fresh out of school and I hadn't really studied any poetry myself. And so in order to teach poetry, I decided I needed to teach myself poetry before I could ask my students to write poetry because I would never ask them to do something that I can't do. So I bought a lot of books about, you know, 
teenagers in writing and and all of this stuff. And when I looked at it, I I tried some of the um, the examples and the 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 things that they they showed, and I was you know, some of them worked really well, and some of them I thought, oh my, I can't, I don't understand what they're saying, so I'm not going to ask my students to do that. But it was by that way that I learned about poetry. When I started teaching, of course, I think when you teach something, I think you understand it a lot better. So when my students would ask me questions, I would have to figure out, okay, well, I don't understand myself, so let's explore this together. And so uh, that was my journey into poetry. And I just really love this short form of detail um, and saying something as beautifully as you can in a short space using only what you really need. That is an amazing story on some levels. <laughs> well, first, you should see what I wrote here of all the exclamation points about that, what they said about teaching poetry, <laughs> because that's, um, that's sad. And that, that would explain uh, why we have that problem with college students when you try to teach them poetry in um, English 1102 or intro to literature courses. Oh my. But secondly, that, that you, you sort of um, did come in, at the, in the, as an educator uh, right. in, in back door. That's amazing. Um, I, I really didn't expect that to be the answer, but <laughs> because you excel so much at it. It's not just something you did for the students. It became so much a part of your own life. So that is that is just amazing. So and my next question was, do you write and publish in other forms, such as short fiction? Or just pub publish in, in poetry? I have tried. And it's funny because when my publishers ask me to write the, the description of my poetry collection, I just, oh, I just start <laughs> panicking, um, thinking, you know, I, I want to say it as well as I can with as few words as possible, especially now. I think people are reading less and they're, they're not interested in a huge chunk of material. And so trying to say something in prose form, get it get across the information uh, is just um, is not of interest to me now as a writer since I've seen uh, what poetry can do and, and how it how it how it works I just really I'm fascinated by poetry in all its levels neat okay um, so I think you kind of hit on this in, in dealing with the brevity part of it but the it, the brevity through but powerful um so how does poetry function uniquely for you as a means of ex self-expression and creativity that other genres might not um i am an introvert uh who teaches so it's really you know a lot of my energy is taken up um in the classroom and i think having the opportunity to observe and think about things and writing a poet a poem about it is how I work through some issues uh, that I otherwise might ignore or 
you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I would ignore it. It's just that I'm so busy all day that I, I think I relish, you know, this is part of the different levels of poetry for me, but I really relish sitting and being peaceful and thinking and then putting my thoughts to page and trying to get people to understand what I'm thinking about, you know, the subtext of the poem rather than just the text. Oh, okay. The, um, we don't define creativity here as an official stance. <laughs> I'd love to get some psychologists on here to shed some light on that. Um, but what we're trying to do is to explore it more organically with our guests and see how they feel about and, and think about creativity and how it operates in them. So um, how for yourself do you conceptualize or define uh, creativity? I don't even like the word define anymore because define means puts boundaries, and I don't like to put boundaries on these kinds of things. But. Um, so how, how, how do I create? Yeah. Is that... Well, how would you concept define creativity for you or, or explain it? Probably just the ability to think about things and then express yourself in a certain way. A lot, a lot of people express themselves through, through singing or dance or a musical instrument or something like that. And I think for writers, I think expressing ourselves is, is you know, on the page, whether by typing or by handwriting. And I think part of the reason I do handwrite everything first is because I think that creative core needs the the head, the heart, and the hand all working together. Not that you don't use those things with typing, but typing just seems so business-oriented um, so I like to write, I like to sit where I don't even have any, you know, I, I refuse to have my phone or iPad or anything around me when I'm sitting and thinking about writing, thinking about things that I might want to write about so I'm not distracted. Um, and then I just write what comes out of that. And then I don't go to the computer until I've got a draft of something. And then I start typing and, and looking at it on the page. But the creativity I think comes from each person wanting to express themselves in whatever way they are gifted. And I think, and for me, that's, that's writing and specifically poetry because I've, you know, trained myself for that long in that process. Right. Do you, do you go into writing a poem saying it's going to be a certain form of poem or it, it just, that just happens? No, that just happens. Uh, I very rarely write in a specific form, okay. um, but I have, you know, the the poem that um, won the Dorothy Rosen, uh, Sergeant Rosenberg Prize was a poem that I wrote when I was in my MFA program. And <laughs> I had this poem and I, I loved it and I, I, I didn't know what to do with it. I knew something was wrong with it. And so my MFA buddies we all looked at it and somebody said, why don't you try it, you know, as this particular form? And I went, oh, I don't want to write a form poem. And she said, no, no, it's all, we've already got the poem. All you have to do is 
you know, find, figure out the form that works with it. And so I, I did end up writing that poem in a particular form. And, and who knew <laughs> you know, that I ended up winning a prize? Um, but because the form actually helped the poem make its point, and I knew it wasn't making its point the way I had it in free verse, but I didn't know what to do with it. So sometimes if, I, if I'm looking at a poem and I know something's missing, but I don't know what it is, I start looking through the different forms to find out what form might help make that poem get across better. So what form did you land on? It was a, it was a pantoum. So they're just, <laughs> there are so many different beautiful forms and mm-hmm. each one is used uh, in its own unique way. And so, it, you know, that's not something that I would typically do right away, but sometimes I do challenge myself with saying, okay, I'm going to write a sestina right now. And, and then, you know, I sit down and try to do that just to expand my writing skill. So you mentioned your MFA program. Where was that? That was at Leslie University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, okay. Hello. So are you from this area? Are you from uh, New England? I'm from Florida. Okay. <laughs> so I'm I'm yep. from nowhere, basically. I I love, I so love the poets who write about place. I am so, you know... I wish that was something that I felt. I mean, I do feel connection, but people who are born to a place and live and work there, I think have a really, a really strong resonance in their writing about the place more than people who, who just like it. Okay. So you went from Florida up to New England and then you can. No, I, I went to Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee. Yeah, and then I got my master's at UTC. And uh, after I, after I got my my teaching license and my BA at Bryan, I swore I wasn't going back to school ever again. And then two years later, I thought I really like reading and I really like school. <laughs> I would like to know more about this. So mm-hmm. I went to UTC and got my master's there. I had some wonderful professors there. Um, Dr. Eileen Maher was just fabulous. I loved her. Um, Dr. Arlie Heron, just wonderful. Dr. Verbi Prevost, fabulous, fabulous people. And I learned a lot there. Um, And then I thought, okay, that's, I've got my MA in rhetoric and English writing, and I'll just move on from there. And then just I really wanted to explore poetry more. And I think in order to to learn, um, you need to, to go somewhere or do something where, where people have been educated in that and can help you understand what's going on. And so I was really fortunate to have, I, I mean, I remember the program director at Leslie personally called me and he said, when I told him later how much that meant to me, he called me at work. And, you know, luckily I was at planning period and uh, they called me up to the office because we didn't even have (laughs) the phone where you could, you know, the extension or anything like that. So I went to the office and and he was telling me that I had been accepted into the program. So that was uh, Stephen Kramer. And oh, my gosh, I just like I thought, wow, okay. so 
here's a, a new train ticket <laughs> to explore something. And that was that was just eye-opening because I hadn't been to anything in New England that was, you know, where I had studied anything about the New England area of the United States. It was all the Southeast. Yeah, that would be a real stretcher for, you know, <laughs> life. And it's interesting. I had some of those books as my professors. I remember Arlie Heron so fondly. He, my story about him, well, I have a lot of stories because I said, <laughs> yes. well, he was, he was so funny, but, um, he, back in, uh, back in the day when they started the, the literature, the Southern literature conference that they have every two years, or they used to, he was helping Eudora Welty get out of her car. And he introduced me to you. You were wealthy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. But <laughs> here's one of my students. And he did it so graciously. It was like. <laughs> so that was. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That was my, my claim to fame. Fame's <laughs> um, So, yeah, that that's great. I, I it's very interesting. I'm glad I'm I'm glad to hear that, that um, that you um we're so motivated to study an art form that you you went do you think most people get mfas out of the out of just pure desire or do they get them for other reasons i don't know i think everybody who was in my particular group of friends for my mfa program we all just wanted to be better and what I appreciated about Leslie was that um, we had to study all the genres. Even though my concentration was poetry, I had to do lectures and listen to readings and go to um, all sorts of things with nonfiction, children's, you know, children and young adult writing, memoir, you know, all of it. And I think that really broadened my horizon and, you know, broaden my friend group as well, which, you know, when you bring other voices that are different to yours into your world, then you get to see things from a different perspective. And I think that really, really helps, especially for writers. If you, you know, if you don't want to just have blinders on the entire time, I think it's important to, mm -hmm. to be open and to be looking around at the whole world, not just the world you're in, even if, even if you are entrenched in that place, being able to see other things, I think, is very helpful. Right. Well, here comes the uh, true confessions from the host part. I am fascinated with the poetic gift. And so some of my questions are going to be really ignorant or so. so. <laughs> I fancy myself a storyteller through short fiction and novels and sometimes plays. I'm, I'm having a novel published soon. And um, I occasionally, like one for a year, find an impulse to write in a poetic form. Um, in fact, I did so last week, but I am not interested in inflicting it on other people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if they see the light of day, as you say, or the light of anybody else's eyeball. Um, it would, I say this is the same thing with my singing. I, I love to sing and I'm not half bad, but I, I'm not going to inflict it on anybody. And so I have many questions about, uh, to ask you about this, the process first is inspiration, ideas, impulses, 
when and how do you come by them? I read a lot and I, I, I would be embarrassed to show you my stack of notes and I just have little note cards everywhere like this. You'd think I would be, or I'm a very organized person actually, but I have note cards like this everywhere. And I just will suddenly be in the, even in the middle of teaching sometimes and I have to finish my thought and then I, you know, very quickly write on a piece of paper and then I have this stack. So when I actually have time to write, then I'll just go through and find all my little cards, which is kind of nice because then <clears throat> I am not more inspired, but I think the poem is more open to um, something organic from itself. You know, I'll look at the different things and then ideas will come to me from what I've written. And some of them I, I try to put together and see what happens with that. And, you know, I don't have a particular, the only particular time I have is when I have time. So, uh, so I'm, I write a lot more in the summertime than I do any other time because I have extended uh, writing period time. But I'd, there's no, you know, I don't have any kind of tchotchkes or anything like that. Um, no special place. I, 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 as long as it's a pen and paper, I'm, yeah. I'm usually good. So just about anything can be a, can be an impetus for a, a, a thought. Oh yes, your yeah. poem. Okay. So, so, so you have your cards, and so when you have the time to write. What else could you say about how it takes form? It comes form. I think that's why I need the time to just sit by myself and not be distracted because then I just think about that idea and I let my mind drift and wander on that. And then if something happens with that, then I start writing. Mm -hmm. um, I try not to, man I don't think I manipulate the work itself. I think I just try to let whatever my brain is dwelling on at the time, just I start writing it and sometimes it's good and sometimes just rip it out and <laughs> say, well, that was not wasted. I wrote something. I got something out of my system, but that's not going to be a poem. <laughs> okay. Well, here's the question I want to get to. How do you know when, and, and this is a question I, I would ask a lot of people, how do you know when it's done? <laughs> when you stop working on it. <laughs> That's when it's done. <laughs> now, whether it's done to publication standard, whether it's done to your desired perfection standard, whether it is done, it is half done. I think when you abandon something, it's done. Um, sometimes because it doesn't work. So um, I think even even things that have been abandoned are done. You're done with that idea. You're done with whatever trail you were on, um, at least for me, that's how I, mm -hmm. I feel about it. Sometimes it, you just have to get those, um, those things out of your system too. Uh, mm -hmm. My cousin died uh, from cancer and I have lots of little cards around with things about that. And um, I tried to write an essay about it and it's just, it's not any good. Um, so the poems that I've written are a lot closer to the feeling that I have about that. Um, and I think being able to be brief also allows me not to 
make it one of those whinging pieces where, you know, oh, whoa, you know, feel sorry, you know. Mm-hmm. I think being able to pick specific words and a specific um, space on a page helps me not just go on and on about it. Whereas in my rough draft writing, I have gone on and on about it, but it's not something anybody would want to see. So that's done. I think those things are done. But then the poems, you know, I think I can craft something. If there's something to work with, I can craft it into something that would be publishable or that I would be proud to say, here, read this, you know. Okay. So as far as knowing when it's ready to be looked at or published or whatever, how, how would you decide on that? Just you have a sense of it? I would. <laughs> Sometimes I do have a sense of it. Uh, and then I take it to a workshop group and they say, no, <laughs> it's not finished. <laughs> I have a great group of, uh, I actually have several groups uh, of, of writers that I work with, but I have two that are really on top of it. We meet every two weeks and they're just, this doesn't work or, you know, maybe move this here, move, you know, and I think it's done. Most of the time, you're right. I do think I have a sense of it. Mm-hmm. And then when I take it in to them, like, this is me saying, what do you guys think? <laughs> do I have this or not? And then, you know, they they do not hesitate to tell me. Uh, well, and that that's so helpful. It's very helpful. And um, I have a lot of really good writing mentors that I can also reach out to if if I still feel like there's something not working there. It's so funny. I'm in a workshop with Diane Frank and she's out in in California and she is just wonderful. And it's when I'm in a workshop with her, I have one week, you know, she gives a prompt and then I have one week to give her a poem. And it's so funny. Sometimes I just run out of time and I know that this particular line isn't working or that particular word isn't the right word, but I'm out of time and I have to send it to her. And so it's, it's uncanny. She will send it back with all these great comments and the exact phrase or the exact word that I knew wasn't finessed well. She always says, this line isn't working for you. You need to push it a little harder. This isn't exactly the right word. Maybe you need to find. And I always think, how do you know that that's exactly the place where I thought, uh, you know, where I just ran out of time and she could tell. So when you find good people like that, you stick with them and right. and you just thank them for sticking with you. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a local group as well? I do. Um, there's a, a group uh, a, for the Chattanooga Writers Guild. Okay. And um, so, so they do that. And then I've got two particular people, um, Helga Kidder and Chris Wood, who are always there. They meet with me every two weeks. And so we get to knock out some poetry together, which is also, you know, it holds us accountable for having something ready in two weeks. So. Right. Yeah. I have a, I'm in a group that's affiliated with the guild as well. So mm-hmm. and I've been with them well, over 11 years off and on. So right. really, I can't imagine not having their input there. Exactly. You know, they don't always agree, but, but they always have very valid insights. So, um, for mine's always all fiction, of course. I wouldn't again. I wouldn't inflict my pain. <laughs> but it's good but to I, have those perspectives. I mean, yeah. that's one of the things we say when um, there there are three or four guys, 
And when the guys show up, we all we all say, yay, <laughs> because, you know, all the women are like, yay, it's so good to have another perspective because, yeah. you know, going back to the other, what I said earlier, you just, it's so important not to, just because you think like this doesn't mean other people receive it like that. I wrote a poem one time and I was so proud of it. I had looked up everything and I mentioned something about turkeys in it. And one of the men in the group said, this is a great poem, but it can't happen like this because turkeys aren't around at that particular time of year. And I was like, what? <laughs> Not doing what I was having them do. And I just thought, that's so important. <laughs> it's good to know. Otherwise, I would have thrown this poem out and everybody would have said, why? What? I can't. That's not even possible. That's funny because I recently wrote a story uh, it, and the same thing came up about guns that the men knew about, you know, that you don't call certain kind of guns bullets, bullets. You call them, you know, something else. And right. It's like, know that we have guns, but I don't pay that much attention to it. And I guess I shouldn't, but we have guns, but <laughs> I do live in Georgia. Um, so I was wondering at this point, would you mind to read? The sure. I would be happy to. Thank you. Whatever you would like to say. Okay. I really like having a, a prompt of some sort. Um, when I when I want to write what when I need to write, when I need to have something done for a workshop, <laughs> if I'm looking at a blank page, it doesn't help. So sometimes when I have an epigraph to a poem, it's because that was the prompt. And so this poem uh, is has an epigraph from Al Young where he said, In country light we walk back slow where we once lived and loved. So this poem is called One Thing I Have Learned. When you wake and the dream still sings, when fireside strokes warmth into your bones, when vapor licks the river, kisses your cheek with mist, when wren and bluebird dwell in the curve of hickory and stars pulse the moon's heartbeat, know you are in my marrow, in my soul. No stranger to loss, no stranger to loss, shadows of the fall still sizzle the gloom just out of sight. Truth thirsts for happiness, gnaws, gnaws the edge of grief until you remember, until you surrender. Let memory drift to that kitchen table where mama and aunts weave gossip, and love tastes like fried chicken, perfumed hugs, or like the first tug of your son's fingers, or even following dad's faltering steps across ammonia-scented rooms. Knowing this will hurt, but risking it anyway. More than a muscle, the heart breathes, leaving nothing behind. Oh, my. <laughs> Thank you. That were, that were, there was a lot there. Wow. <laughs> I like to pack things. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like you said they, they weave, the, the women weave gossip. Yes. Weave gossip. That's, yes. Why did you choose weave? Because I really like verbs and I don't want to be predictable. Okay. So, I mean, it, it would be very easy to say where they just sit and gossip or right. or they talk or something, but it's... Weave you know, is a powerful word. Right. Because the textures and the layers and, and all that kind of stuff. 
Yes, and it harkens back to the time when women got together to do that. And I think that's just one of those things um, why I like poetry, because I like to choose the word that will provide layers for the poem. I often read that the, um, the English language has so many more words than most languages do. And, of course, we don't really use them all. <laughs> I've written down several words here that you've used that I, that I didn't know. So um, I have to go look them up when I'm finished. The book. Um, I had never heard of a pantoon before. So that's great. Okay. <laughs> or read another one or? Sure. Do you want uh, another one? That was from Edge of the Echo. Do you want another one from that or do you want one from the new book? Mm-hmm. Oh, from the new book. Yes, that'd be great. Okay. So this is from the po- uh, the collection that just came out on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> and it's called um, write, write Your Name in Water. It was the last visit. Now our old excuses will drift and shrivel like layers of snow. How could we know? Wind sweep and wild waves echo my thoughts. I almost hear, I almost hear your voice, almost discover where you are, then I wake to gray and dark. Rain-slicked asphalt, trees half-shelter, half-shower, silent sirens as we make our way to the graveyard. Magpie crouching on a limb, one for sorrow. I need you to know you were on my mind. I need you to know. I need you. Regret, like vinegar, bites my soul. When these clouds creep through, will I notice the blue? And you, can you still taste the rain on my skin, ocean blurring its salt with mine? Below the tide line, Scattered shells and stones, sandpipers calling, searching. Okay, thank you. You know, I, this is transformed so I can go back to um, how, our, how our old excuses will drift and shiffle like, like layers of snow. Okay, that's funny. Um, is that related to something in your experience or? When I could comment about anything on that, um, I generally don't have one story in mind when I write, um, okay. especially about death. Uh, there are so many people who come in and out of our lives, um, everyone's lives, and family, friends, um, friends of family that <laughs> you don't particularly know, but who were close to your family members, mm-hmm. and so. Um, it's just listening to people and sifting through what they're saying, sifting through what you know about pain and, um, trying to put it all together so that it's not exactly my story. It is a story about death that I think other people will be able to appreciate and understand on their own personal level. Yeah, I like the regret like vinegar bites my soul. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, wow. Okay, so folks, <laughs> you, you can go to Katie's 
website and find out more about how you can uh, read more of her poetry and um, get her collection. So moving on, I noticed on your website your poems and photographs about Scotland and Ireland. Uh, I've been privileged to visit Scotland, but not Ireland yet. Uh, my family name is Graham, and it's pretty that's pretty entrenched in Scotland. <laughs> um, I I guess Ballantyne is as well. <laughs> I guess, and uh, I believe there's a connection there. And when I was in Scotland, it so resonated with me. I it, the deeper I got into the countryside, especially. So I'm going to. You know, I, obviously, I know you, you took trips there and, um, you know, talk a little bit about how that affected your poetry and your writing and, and working it up there. Well, I, I'm going to preface this story with um, another great poetry group we have in Chattanooga, Ryman Chat, and they're our por- performance poetry group. And they have so many gifted writers, and they would, uh, everybody writes about their heritage and where they come from. And I thought, you know, this was, I don't know, 25 years ago or something. And I thought, what do you mean where you come from? What, what, (laughs) you know, I wasn't even thinking about heritage or ethnicity or anything like that. And I, them writing, sharing their poems about their heritage, all the different wonderful poets that were there who were willing to share made me sit back and say, okay, well, hey, what is my heritage? And so that's when I started finding out more about my father's family in Scotland and my mother's family in Ireland. And like you, I had that feeling when, I mean, there was one time when I stepped out, the very first time I stepped out on the cliffs of Moher in Dingle, uh, out there in that area, I put my foot on the ground and it was like a shock of recognition went through my whole body. And I thought, whoa, what is that? <laughs> and so I think ever since then, I've been drawn to those areas to explore, um, you know, kind of the wild. I love the wildness. I love, it's so funny because there is so much culture in Ireland and Scotland and England, and yet there are all these wild places. And I think that's some of what I was exploring with this latest collection is that that spirit that we have in us of the wildness that we all keep striving for, even though we live, you know, in our nice houses and we have these nice organized lives. (laughs) And yeah, we still, you know, we wonder why sometimes we're unhappy. And I think it's because we're, we're squelching that spirit that we have. And that's, um, I love, I love going to different places and, and being out of my comfort zone because I'm really a homebody, uh, but I like learning and I like learning new things and, and definitely cultural things. I, I enjoy so much discovering things about different cultures. And when I find that, and I, I like to use it in my writing. So mm-hmm. is there any place else you'd like to go visit? I would like to go to Iceland and the Finnish countries. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, with my skin, I'm drawn toward <laughs> the more northern climes since I don't do well in the heat. I went to Greece one time and it was, I don't remember a lot about it. I don't think because I was semi passed out most of the time from the heat. <laughs> but yes, I would like to go to Scandinavia. I, 
my uh, DNA test says that I'm 48% Scandinavian. So I'm like, okay, I got to treat you now. Um, that'd be a lot of fun to, to, to see that. And I, I do think there's a sort of, I might get in trouble for this, but a sort of but ethnic memory that you, you do feel that connection. Absolutely. Because I surely did. And um, even just lying over Scotland, it was like, whoa. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, before I landed in, in London the first time. So, um, so had you written about um, Scotland and Ireland, though, in earlier poems, in earlier collections? Yes. My very first collection was actually an entirely Irish-based collection. And um, that was because I had done so much research right after becoming part of Rhyme and Chat. And then I was working on my MFA at the time. And so I had to have a collection ready. And then I had the collection ready. And my professor said, well, you can't have all of this about one thing. So then <laughs> this collection that I had that they wouldn't let me use for my, you know, my, my thesis, um, I turned around and, and I asked somebody who was um, who was himself Irish, who was running a small um, um, a small publishing company, an independent com- company, if he was interested. And he said yes, he was. And so, it, you know, because he was Irish and my stuff was Irish, and yeah, it just worked out that I was able to use it because I had it ready for something else. And so, you know, I think there's serendipity, and you think you're preparing for one thing. And then you're disappointed because you don't get to use it. But, you know, if you just hold on or you start asking the right questions or you open up your world a little bit more to some other people, then you find out, oh, you know, it wasn't meant for this. It was meant for that. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's neat. Um, I noticed that some of your poems have a, a title. Is it Gaelic? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I didn't want to... <laughs> Yes, I took I took some Gaelic lessons and uh, when I was in Ireland one time, and I, I just loved it. So, okay, do you have favorite poet or poet uh, poet or poet? Oh yes, um, every day a new one. <laughs> uh, some of my you know, my go tos though are Jane Kenyon and Mary Oliver, David White, um, some. Well, Linda Pasten, she just died last February, last month. Um, it's one of my favorites. And some who are, um, I guess, more local, but they're starting really to make a name for themselves if, the, if they haven't already made the name is uh, Rosemary Watala Tromer and Anusha Lamaris. And they write really well. And I was part of a poetry book club um, a year after COVID because we were trying to, you know, to still kind of meet up and discuss poetry. And so I was introduced to a lot of really uh, wonderful voices that I probably wouldn't have, have discovered if it hadn't been for that. So, you know, again, you, <laughs> you're despairing because of one thing and yet something else happens. Yeah, I think a lot of us were introduced to some things that, you know, because we were secluded. Right, <laughs> that uh, we we probably wouldn't have been. I read some um, science fiction I probably wouldn't have read. Right. <laughs> I typically do that, but, you know, I felt like it was a, kind of a lack in my in my reading background. So um, in your other existence, you're also an educator. And so what exactly do you teach? And how do these, 
these two parts intersect. I think you decided <laughs> that at the beginning, but um, how you got started, which was amazing. <laughs> I uh, I teach high school <clears throat> literature, composition, creative writing, and theater, and oh. then I also um, adjunct for Chattanooga State, and I teach um, whatever they need me to teach, basically for English. Uh, the English program, but I teach a, a dual enrollment, so senior English slash freshman college uh, class. I teach two of those, and so I guess. Uh, so um, I think a lot of what I do with writing is not; it doesn't really intersect with my teaching. Um, I think I write in spite of the fact that I teach, to be honest, um, because, you know, so I save my energy for my students in my classroom. And so when I when I finish during the day, I don't have that energy for myself or for my writing. And um, so, I, yeah, I don't think I really do a lot from that. I, I try to keep those separate, actually, just kind of weird. So it, it kind of teaching got you started in poetry. Yes. But it is that you have to draw. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that though. Yeah. Um, I, that's one thing I've, I've thought about teaching creative writing, you know, and I thought, Ooh, I, I just, I don't know that I, I want to take that part of my life into the classroom, you know, um, it would, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I would be objective either. <laughs> no, I might be a little too honest. <laughs> well, that is the one class actually that I probably I, I can relate with. More of the students can relate to me, I think, in that particular class, and I'm a lot more uh, observant about what they want and what they're doing. And then also that does provide me with a little bit of writing time sometimes because if I'm asking them to write then I also try to model that myself. If I ask them to read, I try to read. If I ask them to write, I try to write. So, you know, sometimes when, when they're writing, then I also have the opportunity to write, uh, which I don't get because in other classes, because I'm, you know, on <laughs> for them all the time. That's pretty cool that they let you teach creative writing in high school. Oh, yes. That's, that's neat. Um, it's, there's so many barriers to that kind of thing right now. Oh, I, I work for a really good school system. Um, I mean, I just that they've been really good for the arts because mm -hmm. I teach theater as well. And so, no, you know, nobody has tried to get rid of anything or do anything. They just, you know, that's great. So do you, you direct plays? I do. Oh, my. We do three a year. <laughs> oh, that's really tough. Oh, my. Uh so what are you working on now? Well, right before, uh, two weeks ago, we had um, the spring show. That was um, hap uh, Haphazardly Ever After. It was really funny. It was a really funny show. And um, so the last play that I will have will be next month in April. My first year students. I have three three-year theater classes. So the fall... And spring show, the big shows are the second and third year classes. And then the first year classes get to get their feet wet with uh, one show in April. 
Oh, wow. So you, yeah, you really would have a hard time finding time to write. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, is so much. And teaching is so much. Yes. No. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to add that I haven't hit on? I don't think so. You've had, you've had really good questions that kind of run, ran the gamut. That's wonderful. We've been conversing with poet KB Ballantyne. Please visit her website, kbballantyne.com, for more information about her appearances, poetry, books, and insights. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.